We're in Acts chapter 9 at the very beginning of that chapter, and we're talking about a life-changing event. I'll be honest, there are many life-changing events that we will come across, and uh, one of the first of those a lot of times is marriage. You know, we are amazed that we can actually find somebody that will live for us or live with us the rest of our lives. And marriage is a life-changing event. At least I hope it's a life-changing event because it's a life-changing vow that you make. And then there's children. Children are life-changing events. When we bring children into our lives and we raise these kids and we watch them grow and we watch them flourish and we watch them make mistakes and we watch them overcome their mistakes and we see all these things happen, these are life-changing events. But the one and most important life-changing event that we have had as Christians is our salvation. It's the day we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. It is the most life-transforming event you will ever have throughout your lives. And so we're going to talk about that today, this life-changing event as it happened to Saul. But wanted to kind of share some things about some gentlemen that God used to transform lives. One of those is the name of Edward Kimbrell. And many people may not know him because Edward Kimbrell was just a Sunday school teacher, but he taught a little boy's class. And he found this class to be very important to him, so much so that he wanted to evangelize the entire class. He loved these boys. And so one day, he decided there was one boy that God had put on his heart, and he would actually go to the shoe store where this young man worked. And he went to the shoe store because this young man had questions, and he never got the answers he was looking for. And so Edward Kimball made his way to the shoe store, and he shared the gospel there with a young man by the name of Dwight L. Moody who ended up becoming one of the greatest evangelists, serving on two continents and leading thousands of people to the Lord. But the story doesn't end there because Dwight L. Moody did a lot of great things. In fact, Dwight L. Moody went in there and he shared the gospel numerous times over many countries. And there was a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman who ended up giving his life to the Lord. And while Wilbur Chapman gave his life to the Lord, he ended up becoming an evangelist. And after becoming an evangelist, he preached in thousands of events all over the world. Well, one day, a professional baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday showed up at one of his events. And there, Billy Sunday gave his life to Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday actually gave up his professional ball career to become an evangelist after Wilbur decided that he was going to go and be a part of a church. And so Billy Sunday started doing crusades all over the world, sharing the gospel with people, where eventually a man by the name of Mordecai Ham came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Mordecai Ham became an evangelist going out and sharing the gospel. In fact, he would even, he bought a hearse and he would go around and he would proclaim the message of Jesus Christ by using a hearse. He would draw a lot of attention to himself. Well, he decided he would go into Charlotte, North Carolina one day. And while he was there, he ran across this Yankee young man who was in high school who vowed he would not go hear Mordecai preach. His name was Billy Frank. As he was called by his family, he did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school and that male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. When students decided to go to interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go and see what would happen. And that night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. He, in fact, returned another night and he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank, as most of us know him as Billy Graham, 
who became an evangelist who preached to country after country, thousands upon thousands. In fact, many believe he has preached the gospel to more people than Paul ever could have imagined. You see, you never know what one gospel conversation can lead to. The thousands upon thousands of lives, it will change. Why? Because it is life-changing. And we're going to talk about one of the most unique and impressive characters in the Bible whose life was changed by the gospel. Look with me in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Looks like I'm going without notes today. I put them somewhere. There they are. We're going to look first at the connection of Jesus. Look with me in verse 1. Says, and Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed and he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. We see Jesus meeting Paul on a road. It's amazing when you think about it because it says in verse 1 that Paul was still breathing threats. In fact, his desire was to completely do away with the way, as it's going to be called. He wanted to completely do away with it. Now, here's the thing. Jesus had even told them earlier that there would be people who would persecute them thinking that they were doing the right thing. In fact, in John chapter 16 and verse 2, it says, They will put you out of synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Saul really believed that. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was very angry and upset with the message that was being presented to the people, so much so he wanted to stamp it out. He did not see it conferring with the Old Testament. He did not see it agreeing with the law. He, all he saw was he saw two different gods. He saw God, Yahweh, and he saw Jesus, who was claiming to be God. So he wanted to stamp it out. He wanted to do away with it, and he was going to go above and beyond. He was even going into other lands, pulling them back in so that he could persecute them. In fact, verse 2 tells us that he asked letters from them, the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way. Now, this is before they're ever called Christians. They were called to be of the way. Now, you may say, well, where did that come from? Well, it could have come from John 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It could have come from the fact that the disciples, when they went out there and they preached, because it said several more times in the book of Acts, it could have been because the disciples recognized that there's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And so they constantly talked about the way to heaven. They constantly talked about the way to eternal life. They talked about the way to forgiveness. They talked about the way to, gra to grace and to mercy. They talked about Jesus. And so they became known as the way. But Paul was trying to do everything he could to shut down the way. And it says, he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him 
from heaven. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people think that that's the experience that everybody has to have, that they just have to have that awe-inspiring, light-shining moment when they get saved. doesn't always happen that way. Can it happen that way? The answer is yes. But what it is, is when you think about it, the light is the light of enlightenment. There comes a point in every one of our lives when all of a sudden we're enlightened to the point of our life that we are in sin and the light goes off that we are in sin and in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. Every one of us has that experience if we're a Christian. You may have been sitting in a pew, grabbing onto the back, holding on with all your might, recognizing the grace of God, but you were unwilling to let go. There may have been a time where you finally said, you know what, I gotta give in. I got to give up. I got to go down. I got to make that decision. I've got to follow Christ. It may have been in your home where somebody came and shared the gospel with you right there in your home. And all of a sudden you were enlightened to the truth. You said, I got to give my life to Jesus Christ. It could have happened while you were on a trip. It could happen in a grocery store. It could happen wherever. It doesn't have to just happen in the church. God can speak to you on the road. In fact, God can speak to you if you're listening while you drive. God can speak to you and enlighten you and show you you need help. And I am the way. God spoke to Paul. He was making this journey. He was going to persecute Christians. He was headed on his way to continue in his sin and God stopped him in his tracks. Praise God, he will stop you in your tracks in the midst of your sin and enlighten you to your need for him. And in verse 4 it says, Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can you imagine hearing the voice of God as he speaks to you? Why are you persecuting me? Now I would almost guarantee Saul may have recognized the voice. He just didn't want to believe it. I almost guarantee Saul recognized the voice because Saul was probably around the Jerusalem area and it's very likely he could have heard about Jesus or even heard him teach at some time. It is a possibility. I'm not going to say that it happened, but it is a possibility. But when he hears this voice, he asks this question in verse 5. He says, who are you, Lord? That's an important question to ask because he recognized only the Lord could be speaking to me in this manner. So who are you? There may be some of you today asking that question, who is the Lord? Who is it that I need to make Lord of my life? Who is it that needs to become master and commander of my life? Is there one out there that I need to be solely dedicated to? And I can tell you the answer is absolutely There is one you need to be all in with. There is one that is the way to heaven. There is one way to eternal life. There is one way to grace and peace and forgiveness. There is only one. Who is it? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Think about it for a moment. I am Yahweh, Yeshua, God, Jesus. The way God declared himself in the Old Testament was a me, the Hebrew word a me, which means I am. The self-existing one, the one who's always been, the all one who always will be. I am in and of myself all things. I am. And Jesus declares, I am Jesus. He could have used anything else. He could have said it any other way. But to declare God and Jesus in the same term, he says, you want to know who the Lord is? It's me. 
I am Jesus. Now, I love this because Paul stops. You, you know he's got to be thinking to himself, there's only one name I'm persecuting. There's only one group of people I'm going after. There's only one person that they follow. There's only one way that they declare. So he already knows when he asks the question what the answer is going to be. I think he may have been hoping it was something different. But I think in his heart of hearts, he knew, I'm only persecuting those who follow Jesus. So it must be Jesus who's speaking to me. And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You say, wait a minute, Saul didn't persecute Jesus, he persecuted Christians. Well, if you understand the scriptures appropriately, if you persecute God's children, you persecute God. When you persecute those who follow Jesus, you are persecuting those who they follow, and that is Jesus himself. When you do unto the least of these, you do it as unto him. When you do it against the least of these, you do it as unto him. So when he makes this declaration, I'm Jesus, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting my church. You're persecuting my children. You're persecuting those that I love. Why are you doing that? And he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, if you know anything about the goads, that's the little pointed end. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't kick against anything that's sharp. I don't plan on cutting myself. He says, you keep cutting yourself against the truth. You already know the truth, but you keep cutting. You keep kicking against it. There are those of you out there right now, you're sitting there going, I'm not listening to a word you're saying. There are some of you out there right now that are looking up and saying, I'm here because my wife wanted me to be here. I'm here this morning because mom and daddy made me get out of bed and be here. Some of you are here this morning because it's out of obligation to someone that you loved and you told them you'd be in church this morning. Some of you are here and you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, why am I here listening to this guy? You're here by the providential grace of God that brought you here this moment, whether you wanted to be here or not, to hear this message because God wants to speak to you. That's why you're here. You're not here out of any other reason other than God designed for you to be here this morning because he wanted you to hear this. So I hope you're listening. You can sit there and pander. You can pout. You can plug your ears. You can do all kinds of things this morning. But God is going to speak to you because he speaks louder than I do. He speaks to the heart. You can't stop that up. You can't stop him from speaking. He will draw you. He will speak to you. He will declare clearly who he is. He is Lord. And when he says here, why are you persecuting? Why are you kicking it? against the goads. Many of you are doing that exact thing. You are kicking against Christ. You're saying, I don't want to give in. I don't want to give up. I want to keep living the way I'm living. I want to keep doing the way I'm doing. But I'm here to tell you, God is declaring truth to you this morning and he wants you to stop kicking against it and he wants you to simply believe. Don't kick against the goads. He goes on in verse 6. He says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let me tell you something. When you come to that point and God brings about that conviction, you're sitting there in your pew and God brings about that conviction in your life. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't stop. Ask the question that Paul asked. Ask the same question. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's where we got to come to. I now recognize you are Lord. I recognize what authority you have over me. Now, what is my next step? What do you want me to do? I can tell you, he wants you to just go ahead and come on down. There's other guys down here to take care of that. And we'll just keep on going, all right? But he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. It's interesting that God doesn't give him the full plan. God doesn't tell him everything he's getting ready to do. God doesn't sit down and say, okay, Saul, here's what you need to know about the gospel. Here's what you need to know in order to believe. Here's what you need to know in order to do such and such. What he simply says is, I want you to go. I want to see if you can follow. And once you follow, then we'll go, we'll proceed further. 
I want to move on past this. So he says, go into that city and I'm going to tell you what to do. But I love verse 7. It says, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. They saw the light. They heard the voice. But the voice wasn't for them. They saw the light. But the light wasn't for them. Isn't it amazing? God could have saved the entire company right there. But he came for one. He came for one. You say, again, is one important? Well, you need to read Luke chapter 15, and you'll see that he leaves the 99 for the one. One is important. We saw it with the Ethiopian eunuch. He left a flourishing ministry in Samaria to go meet this Ethiopian eunuch on the road. God set up those divine encounters to be able to share Jesus with him. And this point, God didn't use another man. He did it himself. He had a great message he wanted to present to Saul. He wanted Saul to understand who he was. He showed up in a great light. He spoke. Saul fell off his horse. These other men heard what was going on but could not understand what was being said. Why? Because the message wasn't for them just yet. God had one man he was wanting to reach right then. And in verse 8, And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Right now, I hope, as you're listening, if you're not somebody who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you sense that God is individually speaking to you. That he's speaking to you, you, just you, as if you were the only one here. I've had people say that before when I preach. They said, well, you know, I felt like you were just preaching at me. I don't know what you did last night. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I'm just trying to be faithful to what God has called me to do. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks individually to you. It's the Holy Spirit who brings about conviction in you. It's the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you right now. That one, Saul gets up, he heads to Damascus. He does what God tells him to do, but he can't get there on his own. Those guys have to carry him. Can you imagine? They were headed to Damascus to persecute the church. Now they're carrying their blind leader into Damascus and taking him to a specific home where he's going to hear the gospel. Can you imagine what Saul must have had to say to them? Because this garrison is probably going to leave him at this point. They're going to leave him at this house. They're going to go on because they're going to think he's no longer useful. He's blind, so he's useless to us. You see, can I tell you, the world would throw you out, but not God. They would discredit. They would not want to be a part of him. They take him to this house. They leave him there. But I love this. It says he was three days without sight. Now, a lot of people say, is there significance behind the three days? I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. What I do know is this. The blindness has significance. The idea is, Saul, you've been spiritually blind. Now I'm going to make you physically blind. And I'm going to show you how I can open spiritual as well as physical eyes and change your life forever. He blinded Saul. Made him have to what? You think about it. If you become blind, somebody has to lead you by the hand. Carry you where you may not want to go. They're going to take you and drop you off. And now Saul, who was taking this band and leading the way, is now having to be led himself. God had a plan God had a purpose. We see the connection with Jesus. Number two, we see the command to Ananias. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. That's a good way to respond when God speaks. 
So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now you need to understand where Ananias is in all of this. You need to understand that he's just been told the great persecutor of the church, the guy that was coming to his city that maybe other Christians had fled from, is now here. you got to understand that he knows what Saul's coming for. He knows Saul's name. He knows all the things that Saul has done, and he knows what's getting ready to happen. And God is saying, I want you to go meet Saul. Now you can imagine when Elijah told that one friend, he said, hey, I'm ready to meet Ahab. And the guy goes, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Can you imagine Ananias may have looked at Jesus and said, hey, hold up, Lord. I know who this guy is. Because look at verse 13. He says, and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. God, I know this guy and I know what he's capable of and I know what he's doing. Can you imagine Ananias is objecting to God? Now that he's not the first one and he won't be the last one to object to God. In fact, there were several in Scripture. Moses objected to God in going to speak to Pharaoh. We also know that Jonah objected to God when God told him to go to Nineveh. So we see several accounts where people objected to doing what God wanted them to do. And Ananias, in a sense, is objecting because he says, I know what this guy can do. He hadn't heard what God had done. He hadn't heard about the transformation. He hadn't heard about those amazing things. All he had heard was he had simply heard The stories of Saul and his persecution. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? He goes on in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. You know what he says there? He says, I have changed him. I've changed him. Let me tell you something. How could Ananias deny it? Lord, you've told me to go. You've told me you've changed him. You've told me what you've done. You told me what you want me to do. And Ananias says in verse 16, God's still speaking, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Can you imagine that? Ananias had to go tell the persecutor of the church what God was going to do in and through him and then share with him how much persecution he would handle. Now, here's the thing we know about Paul. If you read 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29, you see all the persecutions he went through. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned to death. He was clubbed. He went through so much persecution. He was, he was tortured immensely, and he knew this before accepting Christ. Could you imagine if people said, you know what, Lord, if you're going to tell me that that's the plan for my life, I don't want it. Saul didn't say that. He said, you know what? That's what I'm signed up for. Sign me up. I'm in. I'm all in. I'm ready to go. God, whatever you want to do with my life, your Lord, it's your life. It's no longer mine to live. That's why Paul could say in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Saul was ready to give it all up. He didn't care what it was going to take in him. God had a plan for him. God wanted to use him. God was going to use him immensely to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Saul's life was changed. Now you'd think Ananias might still have some objections, but God was moving. And Ananias had to go. And that's where we see the conversion of Saul in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me 
that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. Immediately. Immediately. There fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Immediately. You know how long it takes for God to save you? (laughs) Immediately. Immediately. You realize that if we give it, when we give invitation and we tell you, you just come, tell others about what Jesus has done in your life. We want you to come forward and talk to one of our ministers. You realize the moment you step up out of your seat, God's already done the work. You're just coming forward to confer it with everybody else what God has already done when you stepped up, when you stepped out and you said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, get up. You see, that's the amazing thing about salvation is it is simple. It's a moment of surrender. When you throw up the white flag and you say, God, I'm all in. It's all yours. Whatever you want to do with me, I'm in your hands. God, I give it all to you. And Saul, knowing everything that was going to happen, he goes anyways. And he prays and he waits. And God declares to him what he's going to do. And it says, what happened? He received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. I'm ready to follow in obedience. I'm ready to go. Saul was all in. He was ready. And in verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with disciples at Damascus. Saul wanted to grow. He wanted to learn more. He wanted to, here's the thing. When I became a Christian, I was ready to dig in. When I became a Christian, I picked up the Bible and I started reading. I actually asked my mom. I said, I need you to get me a Bible that I could understand. Now, I'm going to tell you something. She got me an NIV. I know for some of you that's the non-inspired version. But if it hadn't have been for that, I'd have never started reading my Bible. I picked it up. I read it. I learned more from the scriptures I'd ever had. I got deep into the Word of God. And God began to speak to me and use me in a mighty way. And I remember I just all I wanted to do was consume more and more and more of the Word of God. Because when God changes you, I'm here to tell you, when God changes you, there's an absolute change. Some of you may say, well... Brother, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I haven't seen much growth in my life. The question is, have you seen growth? Are you seeing growth? Because if the answer is you haven't seen growth or you're not seeing growth, then you're probably not a Christian. The truth is, is we ought to be growing. And there are, and there's a scripture in Matthew 13 where Jesus tells the parable of the souls. And the good soul, it falls on, it sprouts up some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You at least need to be a 30 fold Christian. You at least need to be getting closer to God day in and day out. You at least need to be pursuing some things for God. But I'm here to tell you, when you're one of those that's of the hundred, you're ready to go. You're all in. You're fed up with those that don't, aren't all in. And you want to see truth exposed in their life. You want to see the gospel shared. And you want to dig in and learn more about the things of God. The truth is, is we need more souls. You say, well, Saul was educated. Yes, he was. He had a secular education. He did. Now, he was educated by the Pharisees, so he had a Pharisaical education too, which is not much better. He had all kinds of education. And some of y'all may say, well, I'm not educated enough to do this. Then educate yourselves. There's no excuse for us not being like Saul. There's no excuse for us not telling others about Jesus. There's no excuse for us not to be like Ananias, that when God says, go over there and speak to that person, we don't go over there and speak to that person. God did a life transformational thing in Saul's life. Saul had it all. 
In Philippians 3, he even gives his pedigree in verses 4 to 11. I was a Benjamite, a Pharisee. I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. I did all of these great things for the Lord. But when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I was the chief of sinners. All of that pedigree, all of those things I had before didn't amount to anything. You want to know why? Because what amounts to anything is that life transformation that Jesus makes in you. You can be the richest person in the world and still lose your soul. You can have all the things that this world has to offer you and still lose your soul. You can gain all the riches of this world, but what will it amount to? The only thing worthy of a life-changing decision in you is knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I simply ask you this morning, has he changed you? Has he enlightened you? And is it foreseeable in you? Because if people can't see it in you, and you can't see it in you, then why are you claiming it? You see, when God transforms you, there's a transformation that everybody will see. What does your life look like? Has it been changed and transformed? by the enlightenment and the power of Jesus Christ.